and welcome to another installment of Ortho Real Podcast. We're on sort of a field trip today, checking out something a little bit different, a little bit out of our normal wheelhouse. Uh, we are at Greenbridge with Alan Sermon. Alan, welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell us what you do. So we're here in Daphne, Alabama. Uh, Greenbridge is the name of the company, and we produce vape products and uh, CBD products. So I've had this is this is a new space for a lot of us. I mean, I think there are people that are are very enthused about, quite frankly, about marijuana, but then about CBD and other options like that, and their potential for therapies for treating health conditions for all sorts of things. Give me, a, I've had a little background on this, but it's, it certainly diverges a lot from what I was, was trained in, but tell me a little bit about, I guess, first marijuana versus hemp. That's typically the big question there. And, uh, the best way to describe it is how the government defines it, the federal government and the federal government defines the difference between hemp and marijuana by how much THC is in the final product. And, under 0.3% total THC is considered a hemp plant, and anything over 0.3% total THC is classified as a marijuana plant. They look pretty similar. They're the same plant. So if I saw two of them side by side? You would not tell the difference. It, it's strictly by testing the end leaf flower product. Correct. That you would know the difference between the two. Yep, and uh, that's part of the regulations uh, dealing with the hemp plant is that it's heavily tested through the growth period. And before you can harvest, you have to do a final testing where they send the plant off for COA, and they give you the thumbs up or thumbs down on whether or not you can harvest it. If it uh, tests above the legal limit, they uh, will give you a destruction notice, and they'll come out and destroy your crop. Interesting. So... THC, uh, that, that's the part that, that produces a high, right? That's the, the recreational marijuana drug portion. Whenever you think of THC, you're typically thinking of Delta-9 THC, and that is what's the predominant THC that's in cannabis or in marijuana, excuse me. Uh, but there's actually a lot of other THCs um, available in, naturally in the hemp plant. So uh, how many are there? I think it's really unknown at the moment, but typically uh, the other THCs are in very, very small amounts. Uh, so there's uh, D8, Delta 8, Delta 10, there's uh, THCO, uh, THCP, THCV, which THCV is very, very interesting, a cannabinoid. Uh, but uh, outside of that, I mean, the list kind of grows every day. Um, but again, those cannabinoids are are very very limited in the plant okay so they're present in very small amounts and so what you're working with then is cbd yes correct yeah we uh we do cbd we do cbg uh, cbn which are all other cannabinoids within the plant and then we also play with some of the the legal thcs that come from the, the uh, hemp markets and again, like I was saying, those other THCs are, are very, uh, have small amounts within the hemp plant. And as long as uh, the final product comes from the hemp plant under the federal guidelines, uh, under the, the a farm bill, uh, they're legal to sell. So 
and cannabinoids and an endocannabinoid system or endocannabinoid system. I don't know that I'm even even getting the terminology right. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of new words here. Um, what um, and I know a lot of this is unknown. What do, what do we know about that these things actually do in the body? Well, I think uh, it's the endocannabinoid system is is just now getting to be studied properly. And uh, humans have an endocannabinoid system. That that's a fact. And your body actually produces its own uh, cannabinoids. And it just so turns out that uh, marijuana or cannabis in general produces these uh, cannabinoids that are almost identical. And I think you could you could even make the argument that humans have evolved with uh, cannabis so closely that they're, they're almost made for each other. So and when we say that you have an endocannabinoid system, it's not like your circulatory system or your digestive system. What we're talking about are receptor types on cells really throughout your body. Yeah, specifically you're talking about the C1, C2 receptors, and both of those have different functions. Um, I I'm, I'm, might have to look at notes for a minute, but the, uh, typically the, the C1 uh, is more uh, for like, regulates stress, anxiety, uh, temperature, stuff like that. And then the C2 receptor uh, uh, regulates the immune system. Okay. Well, and, and, you know, to some degree and to your point, there's probably a relative paucity of information about what a lot of these things do just because historically things get studied that we can intervene with and, Pharma studies things and provides research and grants for things that they're going to be treating and and trying to optimize, and that hadn't really existed in this space. Yeah, it's and it's been illegal for a long time, so uh, the, it's it's hard to get the approval to study these plants uh, whenever during the prohibition. So there, all that stuff's starting to open up again, and uh, research is really really taking off. So, so from the sidelines here, because I, there, there's part of this that seems like the wild, wild west, where there's there's some of these industries that are growing up from something that was illegal. Uh, there's obviously, you know, on the marijuana side, there's parts that in certain places still are illegal. Where does this evolve from here? For for companies like yours, what are you going to be providing? Are we going to see other supplements that are medically directed? And then what's what's pharma going to do? That's a, a big question. Um. Agreed. <laughs> there, there were a lot of questions in there. I, I'm just staring blankly because I, I don't understand most of this stuff, and I'm trying to trying to get my head around it still. Yeah, well, the, <clears throat> the pharmaceutical industry is certainly interested in this, and I think rightfully so. And I, I don't think that <clears throat> the, the research is fully there yet. There's, there's a lot of research that had already been done on a lot of these minor things. Uh, but as, the, as more research comes out, I think that uh, the uh, CBD, the, the cannabinoid markets are going to explode because uh, the, the, the way that this plant uh, almost perfectly attaches within our system um, it the, the up the upbeat benefits from it are are really 
undetermined right now. It, it's just, it's almost like every day something else comes out with it. And the, the negative effects from this are so minuscule. And I, I don't want to say they're not there because there are some negative effects, but uh, they're, they're so limited that I think there's really only upside to this. I've, I've heard similar things expressed from other places. And to your point, there's nothing that's free of side effects or free of potential issues, but it's, it's sort of looking for overall safety with these things. And I think that some of the, the things I've heard proposed are certainly for sleep, anxiety, and maybe of, of interest for, for me in the orthopedic space is reducing pain, but also reducing opioid consumption in the context of, of patients that have pain. Absolutely. Uh, there's uh, been a couple of hospitals that have done some research on this, and <clears throat> it, they've determined that combining CBD with opioids can reduce the amount of opioid use. And, and if that's not a good thing, I, I don't know what it is. And, and because of that, you could also reduce people getting addicted to those if you're reducing the amounts that you're giving them. So, uh, you know, it's almost like on every front there's, uh, there's kind of something to be had from the cannabis industry. And so we've talked about that on the podcast, certainly with, uh, with Scott Sigmund, the original uh, opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon, about uh, the dangers of narcotics and uh, opioid abuse and, and things to do to try to reduce that for and and this should come with the caveat that while I am a doctor, I'm not your doctor or any the doctor of anyone listening to this. Uh, but and this is not medical advice. But for a patient that's that's interested in CBD for knee arthritis, I mean, pick, pick a condition, or they have have some mild to moderate pain, or they have trouble sleeping, or or maybe they're being treated for that. Um, how to what do they look for? How do they explore this? I think the the most important thing is finding a reputable company. And and as you mentioned before, uh, this this industry is still very new, and a lot of people attach the the word wild west to it. Uh, but there are some things to look for. Uh, you're looking for a company that that is very open with their COAs. Uh, you whenever you're looking for a product, uh, typically on the back. They'll have a QR code that you can scan with your phone, and it'll pull up the COA for you to see. And it, uh, and then within the COA, you're wanting to look at whether or not they've done a full panel or not. A full panel gives you everything. It tells you if there's pesticides. It tells you if there's residuals. It tells you everything you need to know about that plant. And whenever you're, when, whenever you're looking at any of these cannabinoids, uh, the, the, the one thing in there that, uh, could hurt you in there is going to be the pesticides or the residuals left over in the process. And uh, I think the majority of the industry has switched over to this, and I think it's a great thing. I think uh, being open with your product and, and letting people, educating the consumer so they know what they're getting is, is the right way to for this industry to grow. I've heard unsubstantiated reports that a lot of commonly available products in the CBD space, even on the shelves at Walmart or CVS or wherever, that it's not uncommon for there to be THC in these as well. Correct. And I think this comes, you know, full circle back to educating the consumer. And, and, and within, within the hemp market or the uh, 
CBD, all these other cannabinoids, they're there's different levels of plants and the the easiest way to describe it and how an analogy that I heard that I think makes the most sense is if you're, if you take orange juice and you squeeze the orange juice, uh, that is the closest thing to that orange that you have. And if you want to put that on, on par with the hemp industry, that would, what that was what you would call uh, full spectrum. And what that means is that, the, it has all the cannabinoids in it. It has some THC in it, and it has uh, all the terpenes in it. And then the next step in the process would be removing the pulp. So you'd have pulp-free orange juice. The pulp represents the THC, and that would be called broad spectrum. That broad spectrum is very, very close to having zero THC in it. There might be very, very small amounts in it, but I don't think enough to uh, really pick up on any testing or anything like that. And then the next the next step would be your frozen concentrate orange juice, and that's what you would consider an isolate. And so isolate is you're isolating whatever cannabinoid that you're after. So in this case, you're isolating CBD. Therefore, it would be a 99.9%, 999% pure product. And so depending on what you're wanting, if you want uh, legal amounts of THC in your system, and there's still benefits for that as well, but if you're someone that can't have... Uh, a THC in your system for whatever, for work or for what, you know, personal reasons or whatever it is that you're needing, then you might want to stay away from full spectrum products and only look at broad spectrum and isolate products. How are most of these being dosed for, for patients using this? Is this, um, I mean, uh, oral liquids, uh, gummies, vapes, uh, what do people do? A huge broad spectrum. So people are using it in vape juices. They're using it in, in vape products. They're using it in edibles, whether it's uh, gummies, uh, a, a huge list of it. Um, you can get it in tinctures. You can get it on roll-ons. You can get it on uh, basically anything that you can imagine. It's it's there. Uh, but just to keep it simple, I mean, you you. You're either going to smoke it, you're going to eat it, or you're going to put it on your skin. The big question again, is there a lot of, a lot of difference in how you, how you take it in, in terms of the effect? Yeah. And, uh, your, your body doesn't process it the same. Uh, typically smoking the product is the, the highest dose that, you know, the, the, the most amount that your body would absorb. Um, and then r- kind of running up to that, you, you can kind of split the, the edible market into like tinctures or uh, gummies. Um, and then uh, gummies probably come in, let's say, so you have uh, smoking, then you would have your, what do you, what's the name of the, uh, where you put it under the tongue? Uh, sublingual. Sublingual. And then you would have your edibles because it, uh, your stomach would have to process it. And then uh, fourth, I would say it would be uh, whatever it is, lotions or tinctures. Transdermals. Transdermals, yeah. Okay. Wow, lots to take in. So Greenbridge, uh, what what are y'all doing and where, where are y'all headed as, as this continues to evolve, as people continue to explore this area more? Well, we started out in the vape space, and we, we saw an opportunity within the hemp market. And within that market, I, we think that it, we're, it's still very, very new, and it's very, very young. And 
uh, our market research shows that uh, 90% of people out there that want to participate in this really don't want THC at all within within uh, these products, and uh, and it and because of that, uh, I think you know the educational piece needs to be added into here, added into what we're doing, and and there's still a lot of concern out there with people. Th- misconstruing what hemp is versus what marijuana is. So that's interesting that you said that a lot of the consumer demand, 90 plus percent, does not want THC. Is that just evolving in a separate channel for people that want recreational marijuana and recreational THC and other forms? And these are separate from people that are looking for relief from orthopedic problems, sleep problems, anxiety, skin problems, things like that. Well, I, th- I actually think that all these people are wrapped up in the same category, and I think a lot of people use THC for the same reasons they would use CBD. Um, and it, is, it really depends what the end user wants from their experience from the product as well. And, and uh, as of right now, the majority of the market is really dominated by these THC cannabinoids that come from the hemp market. Um, and I think... Uh, as this market grows, you'll see that other 90% as they learn about this product really start moving back into the space and, and they're wanting the, the health benefits from this uh, without the high. Interesting. So tell me about zero THC uh, products and, and what is CBG? Yeah, so CBG is the, the mother cannabinoid of all the other cannabinoids that are out there. And uh, when you look at it, look at the industry of as a whole uh the the big players in the industry the 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 beauty products the lo- you know the companies that are making all the lotions the companies that are making the food products they can't enter enter this space because the FDA will crack down on them the uh their banks will crack down on them their investors will crack down on them so what what this product really allows is for these other companies to start dabbling getting into this space and and putting their resources into it and for research and, and for uh, product research. And, uh, and, and honestly, I think uh, there's with, with CBG alone, it, it opens up a whole other avenue of benefits that come from it. And uh, I think one of the, the biggest applications is going to be for dermatology uh, CBG. You know, I, I, I don't want to make any claims or anything like that, but the, you know, the research shows that, that it can, it can really help with a lot of skin conditions uh, and, you know, a lot of inflammatory responses. Um, I, I am interested in it. Um, see where it evolves. And, I, you know, anecdotally, and, and, of course, this guy was trying to pitch me on his CBD products that he's got, you know, this Corganics. I mean, they're, you know, medical, medical. Well, they're CBD products, but they want to distribute through healthcare providers only. So they're they're trying to go down that road with it. Um, and he was telling me about his his mom and her knee replacement and what she was using, gummy wise afterwards, and very limited exposure to narcotics. And I mean, it is interesting, and it's got a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, anecdotally, my my mom also just had knee surgery, and uh, we and. You know, opioids are a scary thing, and you just you never know what can happen with those. And so well, we do we we do know what can happen. I mean, when we've got we got data for that, so that's that's the whole reason that stuff like this gets interesting. It's that six thirteen and thirty, and that if we give somebody a month prescription for opioids, 
there is a 30% chance that they will still be taking them a year later. Um, the, the addiction potential is huge. And as an orthopedic surgeon, and I've, I've been a party to this, not as much as anybody, but certainly as much as, as some, I mean, we all try not to, but we, we have to realistically look at this and know that what we do can sometimes be a gateway to addiction for people. And so I think it, it's incumbent on us to start looking for some of these alternatives of what can we do to reduce that usage and to still help people. That is an incredibly high number, 30%? 30% with a one-month prescription. Wow. So even at, at a week's prescription, it's around 13%. That's the potential that they will still be taking narcotics one year later. Um, kind of moving a little bit away from the, the hemp space, you know, kind of where we're at here in Alabama with, with medical marijuana coming in. I, you know, that's that's one thing. I, I think they've done a pretty great job uh, with with kind of opening the doors. It, it seems uh, over the, the last week they kind of added some more conditions to it. They kind of dropped some regulatory uh, issues with it. But, you know, I'd really like to see uh, cannabis being used in front of opioids. And the way the current law is written is you still have to, for pain management, you still have to use opioids before being prescribed. I had seen that in the drafts of some of the potential uh, legislation. Uh, I, I, for this. I hope that gets changed. That's insane. Uh, let's let's have you try something really, really dangerous before we have you try this other thing that, you know, admittedly, you know, still needs research and still needs more data, but there's a long history of experience and it, it just is not as dangerous. Well, I think the, the sample pool for cannabis in general is massive. And I mean, we it, it's been used for a very, very long time. And, you know, I, I think if you wanted... If you, the sample pool to go do the research, as far as I'm concerned, is there already. We, you, yeah. you know, we know, you know, the maybe not all the effects of it, but we know the dangers of it. Yeah, well, and it, it, certainly for for every illicit drug, I mean, every ER doc in the country knows, you know, the effects of those and what goes on with those, and every every physician that's ever been trained has seen somebody withdrawing from alcohol or from narcotics or from these other things, and know where is that for for marijuana it, it doesn't exist and that's absolutely right i mean it's there you know i i can't say that I, I i know enough on the research on the addiction side if there is any and maybe you could speak to that some but i you know from from you know my world view i just don't i've never seen that well, I, I think to your point, the sample size is huge because although it's illegal most places, I, I think we can all acknowledge that there are a fair amount of people in the United States that have and do use marijuana, um, and, and we're just not seeing a lot of those those issues. Uh, a lot more people than I think people even realize. Uh, for sure. <clears throat> Uh, Alan, thanks so much. It's uh, it's been enlightening. I feel like I'm going to be back. I feel like this is uh, this is a space that uh, is is very rapidly evolving, and and nobody really knows which direction it's going to go in. But I think it's got a lot of potential uh, applications. So, uh, if anybody needs to reach you or uh, hook up with Greenbridge, how do they do that? If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us on our website at greenbridgeusa.com. Thanks so much for coming on.
Thank you for having me.